Well, hello, Cove Church. It is so great to be on this journey with you today. Um, speaking of journeys, throughout my life, I have always loved traveling. Uh, whether it was as a kid, just going camping in the high lakes with the smell of, of pine and mosquito repellent, or the long road to Southern California to visit family, and it's 105 degrees in a Ford Pinto with no AC. Whole different set of smells to that adventure. But then there was even trips like to Winnemucca because it was the nearest casino to our house. Now, not exactly a, a child's adventure dream trip, but still it was fun for me because these were the breaks in the daily grind. I, I loved it so much that, that it was something different and I enjoyed it in my early years and I loved it even more so as I got older. And that love of travel has remained for me as God has uh, allowed me to have new adventures going to Alaska or Hawaii or Trinidad or Costa Rica or the United Kingdom. Uh, I'm grateful that God has allowed me to have those experiences in my life. So I, I'm a person who loves to travel. But can I tell you one secret regarding that? As much as I love leaving my home and going on a new adventure, for me, it always feels a bit uncomfortable. There's always, for me, whenever I travel, this kind of subsurface angst that stays with me the entirety of the trip until I once again find myself home. I'm not sure all that's wrapped up in, and I know it involves the uncertainty of the road that maybe we'll break down or maybe we'll get lost, or I know it involves the new experiences and, and new relationships and unknowns. Even understanding the, the strain that can be placed on existing relationships as you travel is part of this. And you would know this if you have ever tried to navigate LA traffic with your spouse. Can add a bit of stress to that relationship or maybe a 12-hour drive in a minivan with two kids and a dog. It's new foods and new routines and hotel beds with pillows that are never like the ones at home. So as much as I love that adventure and I value it, knowing how much I need those experiences in my life, they're never completely comfortable. That is the idea that I want to bring today as we continue our series through Lent that we have called A Desert Calling. Today, drawing our focus to the travels that God calls us to, namely, navigating the wilderness of repentance. Now, foundational understanding for us here, repentance literally means to turn. 180 degrees to go a new way, a new direction. I was headed in this direction, now I'm headed in this direction. That's what repentance is all about. And this is critical for us because the primary message of Jesus as he ministered on the earth was this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent. Jesus is saying, turn. I'm inviting you to a new way to a new road, to a new journey with me. And what we will see today is that journey of repentance will invariably lead us to travel the wilderness. A great adventure, yes, but an adventure that will at times make us feel a bit out of sorts, a bit 
uncomfortable, a bit unclear. Now, this is not an abstract thought for us, is it? This is not theoretical. This is not someday. This is talking about today. The truth is, this last year for all of us has been in every way a wilderness road kind of year. Let me just encapsulate. Let's think about where we have been as a church together. A few months just prior to COVID, we got to assist the launching of New Hope West. We got to be a sending church in that capacity, a church that, that, that plants other churches. That's what we've always wanted to be. I love that. I believe in church planting. I believe churches should plant churches. In fact, I actually have an additional role to leading this church as the director of Discover Church Planting, which is a church planting movement and network. So I am all in when it comes to planting churches and I want to plant more churches in the future. Yet, in doing so, I don't know of any pastor who has helped plant churches from their church that hasn't had this thought. God, I'm glad the church plant is doing good. I just want to make sure we're okay too. Are we going to be all right? (laughs) That this body would remain healthy as we send out and believe God for new works. And God has been so faithful to us, but we also know it looks different around here, doesn't it? And there's people that I miss. They're not gone from God's kingdom, but I miss seeing them here. That, that's just honest. And that is part of our wilderness road. So we we did that, and then about three months later, COVID hits. And the world, of course, is turned upside down. Talk about missing seeing people, right? It's nine months of of are we open, are we not open, are we only online services, and then it's in-person, and it's with masks, and it's with mandates and distances, and people are frustrated with all of it, and so am I. And you make decisions in that time knowing that whatever you do, someone's not going to like it. Now, that's not unique to us. Every pastor I talk to is facing the same challenges. But it's difficult, right? But what I also believe is that this is part of something that God is trying to do with his church as a whole. That he's refining us, he's restoring us, he's renewing us, he's getting us back to what matters most, getting us back to him. In fact, I was talking to a a group of church planters recently, and I told them that every church that exists is now a new church plant, whether they know it or not. For us, here at Cove Church, in many ways, we're starting over. We're, we're beginning again, which is so great, but that is also a wilderness road. And in the midst of all that, God then made it very clear to our leadership that he was calling us to change our name. He was giving us a new name, and we went through a whole process of that, and it was very meaningful, and it was very important for us. But even that in itself creates a little bit of uncertainty, a little bit of angst. Who are we? It's another wilderness road. And one of the things that I would want to say today as a pastor 
to this church family is I, I get those feelings. We can just be honest about that. This is just a, really a family conversation. We can just be honest, say, I, I feel that way. It feels uncertain. Yeah, I, I do too. I mean, imagine um, you're driving with your kids and you're on a washboard road and it's just full of potholes and you're driving, it's just bumping and the kids are in the back and they're going, Dad, it's really bumpy, you know? And their sippy mugs are shaking so much that the milk is turning into butter. I mean, it's just bad, you know? And, and as a parent, you don't tell them, no, kids, it's not bumpy. No. I don't feel any bumps, it's totally smooth. No, you're just mistaken about the bumps. Of course not. That doesn't make any sense. So what do you say as a parent? You say, yeah, I know it, it is bumpy, but we're safe and we're together. Yeah, I know kids, it is a bumpy road, but we're gonna be okay and we're gonna be together. We get to hear that from Jesus today. Amidst our times of uncertainty, amidst this unsettled wilderness road that we're on as a church. Those, those times where we find ourselves asking God, what, what's gonna change next? <laughs> and I can only tell you, I don't have the answer to that. I only know that Jesus promises to be with us on this wilderness road. I don't know what the future holds, but I do know who holds my future. So that's what we get to do together. And that's really what repentance, by definition, it invites us to that place. It invites us to these new roads. And some of those roads will be the rough roads of the wilderness. And as we as a church are navigating those roads together, we can be encouraged by this truth. You have to go through the wilderness to get to the promised land. You have to go through the wilderness to get to the promised land. And so as uncomfortable as this wilderness road can be, I'm here to tell you it's worth it. As uncomfortable as pruning is, the fruit is worth it. Repentance is a wilderness road, and it is a road that Jesus calls us to. And it's what happens when we answer God's call to turn and seek God's kingdom, which is at hand. This is when we get to see God do a new thing and to lead us into new promised lands. And the beautiful part about walking that new wilderness road is this, that God gives us a guide there. Great thing about walking this new wilderness road is the fact that God wants to give us a guide in the wilderness. And this is even better than a really tan guy in safari shorts and a pith helmet with an Australian accent. Even better than that, this is the ultimate guide through the wilderness of life. And you may be asking, who is it? Who's the guide? It is God's Holy Spirit, our companion and guide through the wilderness roads of life. And there are some specific wilderness roads that the Holy Spirit wants to help us navigate today. And here's the first thing I would point out. Number one, the Holy Spirit wants to guide us across the wilderness 
of unbelief. Let's look at John chapter 16, uh, starting verse 7 through 9. Let's read it. You can read it. Big voices right where you are. Go. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me. All right, so Jesus is speaking here and Jesus says, I know you don't want me to go, but it's a really good thing that I'm going because unless I go away, you don't get the helper. Who's the helper? It's not hamburger helper, not plumber's helper. No, the helper is God's Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, when the helper comes, he will do three things. And he lists them. Convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And then he goes into more detail. Let's talk about the first one by answering this question. What does Jesus identify as the sin that the Holy Spirit convicts us of? Okay. What does he identify here as the sin the Holy Spirit convicts us of? Is it lust? Is it anger? Is it drug use? Is it smoking, maybe? Or is it leaving Legos on the floor? Or is it removing your tag from your mattress? That is a felony offense, after all. Is it merging without putting on your blinkers? What is the sin? What is the one big thing? Here it is. It's the sin of unbelief. That the Holy Spirit wants above anything else to move us from unbelief to belief. To convict us of the places that we don't trust him. Where we don't see God's hope. Where we're not sure that we can count on God's promises. God, you said you wouldn't leave me or forsake me. Yet at times it feels like you have done both. At times it feels dark and confusing, and unsettled inside. And if there is a road that brings those types of feelings to mind, it is this road through the wilderness. And there is a, a sin that wants to beset us on those paths. It's like a predator waiting for its prey. A sin that is more devastating than any other. And it is the sin of unbelief. That due to those moments of struggle, that I would simply stop believing in God. And I would stop believing God altogether. I would stop believing that light will one day dispel the darkness. And I would stop believing that good can come from evil. And I would stop believing that God still has me in his hands. There's a story years ago um, in Manhattan on the corner of Park Row and Beekman Street. It's this place where uh, this statue of Horace Greeley, it now sits there, that's the location. And it's in that location that there stood a very unique salesman this one day. All day long, he was offering to every person who was passing by the opportunity to purchase a $20 gold piece for $1 each. All day long, he kept loudly announcing his wares, but of the thousands who passed by him on that day, most of them paid no attention at all 
Others laughed at him and some scowled at him. Did this all day. And about 15 minutes before six o'clock, when he was about to quit, a woman timidly approached him and asked to inspect what he was selling. And she investigated it very thoughtfully. She, she bit it, she tested its sound, she threw it on the pavement to see how it responded. She felt its weight. And then she reluctantly paid the dollar and pocketed that gold piece, which she was then able to go and verify as a genuine golden double eagle. So, 10 minutes later, just as the man was about to go home, the woman reappeared with two friends, and between them, they purchased the rest of the man's stock, $160 worth of gold. They paid $8 for it, and they walked away thrilled. The following morning, and for several days after that, that very location was packed with people led by the same woman who purchased the gold on the day before. And they all sought out that mysterious vendor who never appeared again. In fact, in the end, it was only that timid woman and her two friends who experienced the reward of such a discovery, never knowing what led that man to offer them such an amazing gift, a gift made possible simply because she chose to believe. Too often, I think we treat the idea of belief as a noun, where Jesus tells us belief is a verb. We treat it like a noun because we say, well, these are my beliefs. I can write them down on paper. I can hold them in my hands. I can remember them in my mind. It's a noun. But Jesus says, no, belief is to be a verb. It's what we actually hold on to on this road of life, especially on the wilderness roads. And the beautiful news is that the helper, the Holy Spirit, wants to come alongside us on that road and to then point to our unbelief and invite us to believe again. But just like the thousands who walked by that man selling his $20 gold piece for a dollar, we can miss what God is offering us because we simply don't believe him. Maybe the wilderness road that you've been on, it's, it's taken a toll on your belief in God. Guess what? The Helper, the Holy Spirit, is coming alongside you right now, and he's, he's wanting to show you those gaps, maybe even convicting you of places that you've stopped trusting God or pointing out the places where you've never trusted God. So here, then, is the truth for you today amidst that work. God does not convict us to condemn us. God convicts us to complete us. So let him. Let the helper help. Invite him to your wilderness road. Because the Holy Spirit wants to guide us across the wilderness of unbelief. That's the first thing. Here's the second. The Holy Spirit wants to guide us across the wilderness of unrighteousness. We'll continue in the passage. John 16, verse 10. Let's read it. Big voices. Go. 
concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. So Jesus is bringing a bit more detail as to what the helper will convict us in, now speaking to us of righteousness. And he tells us what he means regarding righteousness by saying, because I'm going to the Father and you won't see me anymore. Hmm. Now it makes you ask the question, right? Well, what does that have to do with righteousness? What does the travel plans of Jesus have to do with my expressing God's righteousness to the world? Well, here's a thought for you. It seems that Jesus is saying, as long as I'm here with you, walking with you, speaking to you, teaching, healing, ministering, as long as I'm doing that, you have a very live picture of righteousness right in front of you. It's, it's like you don't have to guess anymore. It's like when I was a kid, um, we had a Samoyed. That is a particular breed of dog. They're big, they're white, they're fluffy. They look like a cotton ball with legs. Big, that's what Samoyeds are like. And it's a super fun dog, especially when the snow was really deep because she could disappear into the snow and freak out the neighbor kids. It was awesome. She was a great dog. Now, for me, no one has to explain to me what a Samoyed is like because I lived with one for years. And so Jesus is saying to the disciples, you guys don't have to guess what righteousness looks like because you have lived with righteousness for years. The picture is right there. Because righteousness looks like Jesus. And he's saying... When I go to be with the Father, you won't any longer have that live picture of righteousness in front of you. So what do we do? What's, what do we do now? Enter the Helper, the Holy Spirit who comes to remind us of what righteousness looks like. Namely, what it looks like to live like Jesus. That my life is to be a picture of the righteousness of Jesus. Now, it's right there at that moment, you may find yourself like me going, oh no, I'm supposed to be a picture of the righteousness of Jesus? I'm not. Uh, I am not always an accurate picture of the righteousness of Jesus. I mean, sometimes I, I might be a, a decent picture of what Jesus looks like to this world, but often, I think my picture more often looks like this one. If I'm honest, when it comes to me being a picture of the righteousness of God, that picture is probably about as close as I get. It's not a great picture. So what do we do? Well, 2 Corinthians offers us some hope. In that passage, it says this, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God. How do I become a picture of the righteousness of Christ? By being found in Christ that I draw close to Jesus, and then Jesus changes me. 
Yet too often I flip that around saying, I'll change me first, and then I'll feel comfortable enough to get close to you, Jesus. The temptation is always to try and create my own righteousness instead of trusting Jesus to impart his righteousness to me. So in that, we must remember righteousness is found in our direction, not our perfection. It is a function of being with Christ, being in Christ. But we get caught up saying, I just can't let Jesus see me like this. Yes, can't let him see me like that. I'll just fix myself. Yet it's right into that place that the helper comes and says, just get close to Jesus and he'll start to allow you to look like him. It's only when we are found in Christ that his righteousness becomes our own. Too often we attempt to achieve a picture of godliness without God. And we see this so profoundly on our wilderness roads, don't we? Saying to Jesus, I'm not enough for this. And Jesus says, with me, you are. Because the Holy Spirit wants to guide us across the wilderness of unrighteousness. That's the second thing. Here's the last thing. The Holy Spirit wants to guide us across the wilderness of injustice. John 16, 11. Big voices go concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, the helper here is convicting us concerning judgment. So here's the question. Who is the target of this judgment? Answer, the ruler of this world. The enemy, Satan, uh, the devil, Lucifer, the big jerk. That's who we're talking about. That's the target being referenced here by Jesus. That's where God's judgment is focused on in this passage. And what that means to us is that the Holy Spirit will remind us that in all those events of the enemy's devastation, the lies we've experienced, the pain, the heartache, and the wounds that we feel every day, be it through that that death or that divorce or that betrayal, that false accusation, that disproportionate response. In all of those things, God will bring justice to the author of sin, to Satan himself. The one who attacks us in our wilderness, the enemy, the one who lies to us, just like it was with Jesus, that after 40 days, he's fasting in the wilderness, he was hungry, and it's then that Satan comes to tempt him at his weakest point, because Satan is an opportunist, and he does the same thing to us. And yet where Jesus was victorious in that wilderness temptation, our scorecards don't always look as good. Many of us bear the scars of the battles we have lost with the rulers of this world. And the promise here is that God will one day balance the scales, bringing his judgment to the evil one who has brought so much pain to all of us. 
As Jesus says in the book of Luke, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Satan is certainly included as one through whom temptation has come. And God will resolve that issue. That's the promise. That the, the grave injustice we feel every day in this world will one day be made right by God. Yes, it's in his time, and yes, it's in his way, but justice will be done. And I don't know about you, but that brings me hope, you know? Like when I was a kid and my older brother would do something mean to me, you know, steal the toy or hog the remote or stab me, whatever it was. And I'd tell him, you wait till dad gets home. You're going to get yours. Which in my case often meant that I would get mine as well when dad got home. But it was justice. We long for justice in this life, and we should fight for justice in this life, but we will not see the fullness of justice in this life. Glimpses, yes, but not completeness. We will only see complete justice on the day that every knee bows. And every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord. And then this upside down world will finally be turned right side up. That is our hope. That is what the helper reminds us of in the wilderness. That as bad as this is today, it will not always be because the Holy Spirit wants to guide us across the wilderness of injustice. So I'll wrap up with this. There's an old African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. This is the key to making it across the wilderness roads of life. Friends, we weren't meant to do this alone. Because ultimately, we are faced with this truth. We do not cross the wilderness on the strength of our ability, but on the depth of our relationships. And when I look at my own life, I know this is true. Maybe it's the same for you. Whether it was my oldest friend now, Dana, who carried me through middle school and high school and college, whether it was my wife who might as well have one of those toddler backpacks on all the time for me to ride in because she's carried me so often throughout our life together. Or like my great friend just this last week, Van Clemens, who pastors Willamette Christian Center. We were together this last week and I told him, I said, Van, as I, I look back on these last 10 years, I said, there are times that it's been my friendship with you that has carried me through. Why does that happen? It's because we're not designed to walk the wilderness alone. And the good news today is we don't have to. There is a helper, God's Holy Spirit, who wants to be the friend that is closer than a brother, 
we can navigate this wilderness and see it through to the promises on the other side as we reach out and say, Holy Spirit, I don't want to go fast. I do want to go far. So lead me to live out my days drawing close to you. Let's pray.